This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Rachel Ho. So after 10 exhausting but hopefully exhilarating days, the 47th Toronto International Film Festival has finally come to an end. After two years, TIFF has returned to some form of normalcy, and while it wasn't always smooth sailing, which we'll get to um, in a minute, personally, I had a really great time, and I saw some really great movies, and a few that were probably going to end up being in my top 10 this year. Once again this week, I am sans Dakota, but luckily for everybody involved, I am not flying solo this week. I am joined by a new guest to ContraZoom, Prabjot Baines. Prabjot and I met very randomly by chance at a Cha-Cha Real Smooth screening a few months ago, where we incidentally just ended up sitting next to each other. Um, and then, I, as it would turn out, it, he was a new film critic writing for Exclaim, which I also um, write for. And... Yeah, very kind of oddly, we ended up meeting and he was sitting, well, he was actually sitting next to my friend who was like poking me being like, this guy also writes for Exclaim. Um, and we've bumped into each other at a few different screenings since. We've bumped into each other at TIFF a couple times. Uh, Prabhjot's also a writer for Tilt Magazine, and that's where the bulk of his TIFF 22 coverage is. So Prabhjot, thank you so much for joining us, uh, or me rather. Um, how are you doing? How is the festival? Uh, it's going great. Uh, it ended on a, on a very sour note, but, uh, uh, for the most part it was, it went uh, pretty smooth sailing. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was my first festival as a member of, of the press, just covering it. Uh, and it was, you know, kind of a dream come true. Uh, and I think I saw about 26 movies in 10, 10 days and, uh, I'm exhausted and I, I really think I, I don't want to see another movie for like a good, a good while, but you know, the movie person in me is not going to allow that. I was thinking the same thing. I don't know how many movies I've seen probably about in around the same as you. Um, but I was thinking like, I really don't want to watch another movie. And then I realized like Monday I have, or tomorrow I've got um, a, what do I have? I have a, like a screening to go to. For oh God. no way. At least it's not at Scotia theater. Cause I will be very happy not to see Scotia theater for a little while. Yeah. Those escalators, those escalators. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm tired. And the cinema is freezing. It's so cold in there. I've been complaining about this for a while, but it's like, it's so cold and I get cold quite easily. Um, so you said it's your first experience as press and it's your first time applying as press as well. So you're like one for one with that. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm only doing the whole film critic uh, thing for just a very short while, just a, I think nearing in about six, seven months. But uh, I just applied off of whim, uh, you know, talked to the, the editors at Tilt and, you know, got in and I was surprised because a lot of the stuff on the application said, uh, you know, you have to be in it for a while. But, you know, here I am and saw the amazing movies. So. And, I and think some that bad the- ones. <laughs> I think that's a good lesson for a lot of people. If anyone's listening and like thinking about trying to like dip a toe into the press side of things, um, I did the same thing as you last year. Like I just applied on a whim and I was like, I'm not going to get in. Like, let's be real now. But yeah, it like they do, especially if you're, I think we're lucky because we're based in like the Toronto GTA area. So they tend to be a bit more generous, I think, with that, which is good. Um, in terms of your just I guess like the actual experience of it and like the the logistics wise um how did you find TIFF this like like I said in the intro this is the first year back uh, after a couple years of doing online or a hybrid model of it uh well just in terms of you know logistics and, and getting there I mean it's it's 
it wasn't too tough. Uh, but, uh, you know, you know, I think we're sure we're going to touch on it later, but just the whole disorganization aspect of it and just, it's kind of a mess really at the beginning. And I, and I, I, and I myself, and I know a lot of people couldn't even, didn't even know if they were going to get into screenings. Uh, and they had like these huge schedules planned out. And now the first half, the first chunk of it yeah. is basically up in the air. Uh, and uh, I even also noticed during the, the festival a lot, uh, a lot of the people who were organizing it didn't really know like what theater where, or what place the movie was going to be screened. Uh, and also uh, they didn't even know like, you know, the exact time or even the times would switch. Like they would, they would change the time yes. sometimes. And I, I, I know one person I was talking about when the movie was living that, that Ikiru remake oh, starring yeah. uh, Bill, such Bill a good uh, I, I haven't seen it, but I know a lot of people who were going to one of the public screens for it. They were give, sent out an email just less than 24 hours that they switched it by two hours. And so I know a lot of people couldn't even get into the screening and weren't able to to cover it. So, Yeah, I found that frustrating. That happened to me once, and it was for a press screening. It was for a movie called The Blackening, which I really wanted to watch. I thought it sounded really cool. And then I had set my, like, I put it in my Google calendar to be like, I'm going to watch this. I think it was like a 9 a.m. press screening. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. Um, And then very fortunately, the day before, I just happened to look up the movie on the TIFF website. And then I noticed the press screening was gone. It was just crossed out. And I was like, <laughs> like, they didn't even send an email out. I was like, what the hell's happening? Um, And then I tried to get into the next public screening and it was sold out. And I was like, great. Like, I this this sucks like and i so i couldn't even watch that now luckily it's not one that i was going to review but it's one that i really wanted to watch so it's a shame and i heard um on the one of the glass onion uh public screenings they oversold it to the public and so a bunch of people showed up and didn't get in and they had tickets like they they had bought tickets and they couldn't get in because they were at capacity which i think it's like it's almost as if they think they're Air Canada now or something. And they're like, <laughs> they like put people on standby or something, which I thought was unbelievable. Like to do that to press is one thing, but I was like to do that to the general paying public. That's like, that's really, really not cool. Yeah. Well, you know, because of Air Canada, we have a reputation to uphold. We have to make sure that, you know, we, we have a streamlined service of uh, overselling and, and making sure uh, we don't deliver. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but also the whole uh, online fiasco of just securing tickets. I mean, yeah. that was just crazy to me. And the worst part of it was that uh, the window to, to 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 get the tickets for for uh, for press opened on my birthday. And so I'm like, oh. okay, oh, I didn't know I'm that. Like, yeah, it, it, I was like, okay, you know, great birthday present. <laughs> I'm gonna go on, and I, I get to select all the movies, and, and, and you know, it's a great way. You know, cosmically, the the, the universe kind of helped me out here. But then. Every time I tried to take out a ticket, I was bumped back to the beginning. And I would go in and each time different screenings were full and, and some oh were magically uh, opened again. And what I actually had to do was on my birthday, I had to go in person to the industry press box oh. office and secure all the tickets that I wanted. And I was able to get, for the most part, uh, all the movies I wanted. The The only ones actually I missed out on were the uh, Glass Onion that was one that I, I really wanted to check out. But, you know, it's a Netflix movie. I can just, you know, check it out later in the year. Uh, and then that uh, Nicolas Cage, uh, Butcher's ah. Crossing at Western. Uh, I love Westerns. Uh, and Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage in it. But then I, I found out that Saban picked it up. And so that's kind of uh, 
that's kind of like giving me, uh, you know, oh. like, yeah, it was, it was weird. And uh, I was talking to a lot of people saw it and they, 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 they noted that it's going to be a movie that's not going to run theatrically. It's going to go straight to VOD. So that kind of made me oh, feel better about it. Yeah, too and bad. Then, I I enjoyed that movie. I, I'm surprised. I thought like it's actually to be fair. I watched it fairly early on, and I think it was like the first weekend they were doing the press screening for that, and I watched it, and I like I actually kind of forgot about it. So maybe it's not as good, but I, I I really did enjoy it though. I thought it was I thought it was fun. But I yeah. you know Tiff is notorious for having a terrible online platform, and I had a friend who was going um, who had bought like single tickets. They they didn't have a pack. But they even found it difficult on their end um, navigating the portal. And again, like I think that when you mess things up for press, that is one thing. Like I don't know if it's better or worse. But to me, when you have the general public and they're paying, yeah, exactly, you should really make something work for them. But it's not like it's. I and there's rumors this year that um, there was a lot of turnover over at TIFF during the COVID times. Like I, I don't know if they got poached by another film festival or what it was, but it seems that a lot of institutional knowledge kind of left, which is why things, especially on the press side, just didn't work out. Like scheduling was really weird. The, the theaters they chose to do the press screenings at were off. Like they chose small movies, got big, like a number of press screenings at like bigger yeah. theaters, big movies got like one screening and it was like a really tiny movie theater. That's the weird owl movie, um, which was, I feel like it's going to be like a legendary tale now for people who were involved in that to tell. Uh, but yeah, that, that side of it really did suck. And I was lucky to be honest. I was completely lucky. I didn't have any problems with the portal. Um, getting my, thanks for helping it in. I know. I, that's why I felt so bad. Cause everyone's like, Oh my God. And I'm just like quietly sitting. I'm like, I'm just not going to respond right now. That's like a um, you problem. I think that's what you, yeah, that's a, that's a you guys problem. Like, and I'm like thinking, I was like, what are you guys doing? That's a, and then I just, like, I think I realized it just the website wasn't working properly. And so I, I don't know why it was working well for me, but. Do you um, think, um, do you think this is a problem with the Ticketmaster platform itself and just them not, uh, it's just one that's not working with them because you know, you're saying they're notorious for having this type of issue. Do you think it's more a result of the Ticketmaster platform or just the way they do it is just not working? I mean, it, that's a good question. It might be, but at the same time, I can't remember the last time I used Ticketmaster for something not TIFF, actually. Yeah. I'm trying to think what was the last thing that I attended. It's probably been a, a minute, but like, I never really had a problem with Ticketmaster, though, as a website. Like, you get stuck in a queue, sure, and like, you sit there, but that's that's just kind of how it goes with concert tickets but i never had a problem the the problems that people were talking about with tiff saying like it just didn't work like it would just revert you back or something like that um one of the funniest things to me was they kind of threaten you saying like if you don't cancel your ticket within like good time you this will affect your ability to get future accreditation and that's that's quite threatening for like quite a big festival because nobody wants that to happen obviously yeah, um, yeah, that that was one thing. And when I would hear news about a movie being bad, and I'm like, damn, yes, like it's shit. Like I have to see this horrible movie now because, yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't, I, I can't return the ticket or exchange or anything like that. And I so, knew people who just showed up to theater, scanned their ticket, and just w- walked away because they're like, I can't watch this right now, but I don't want to get dinged for like a no show. But to me, the funny thing about that type of quote unquote threat is that. Like you couldn't return things on their website. Like I, the whole festival, <laughs> all ten days, I haven't been able to return any tickets back. I always have to call them, and they're 
lines, like, I mean, the people who are behind the call center lines have been very great and they're very friendly and very nice, but the wait times are extraordinary. Like it's absolutely insane. Yeah. That's why I, that's why I, I took a trip to Toronto on my birthday. Great, great birthday. Yeah. That sucks. That sucks. Um, yeah, that's too bad, but Hey, I mean, there, there are worse things that you could be doing. Is there actually, there might not be worse things. <laughs> it might not be. Um, all right. So Prabhupada and I, we're going to talk about, uh, one, two, let me see how many movies we're going to talk about six movies. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Six movies. Um, four of which we both saw, um, which I'm happy you and I had quite a bit of overlap, actually like a decent amount. And then I always find it interesting seeing people's like TIFF list because I think the big ones are what you and I overlapped on, which is obvious, but then you can really see kind of a person's taste in film by like the random straggler movies that they decided to pick. Um, so we're going to go through those and we're going to talk about four that we both talked, um, sorry, four that we both watched and then one each that, uh, we only, we saw like only one of us saw it and, and just something kind of worth talking about for one reason or another. Uh, and then we'll do a couple shout outs at the end. Um, and yeah, so everyone get ready. And also just to let everyone know, we're not going to do spoilers. Uh, most of these movies are coming out probably within the year or within the next however many months yeah. we have left in the in 2022 so we're not going to give out any spoilers and because of that though we are avoiding i wanted to talk about the decision to leave which is the new park chan wook movie but i realize in order to talk about it properly we probably yeah to spoil it and it would be really annoying to kind of talk about in but anyways um, so we're going to start off with probably one of the most highly anticipated movies of the year. Definitely was super anticipated going into Toronto because of how well it did at Venice. Um, and that is the movie that is currently ushering in what we're calling the Renaissance. I think that's what people <laughs> have decided is going to be the Renaissance. I've also heard the Fraserection, which sounds a bit. I don't know. I don't know. About I, like the fra- I like the phrase direction. I'm going with that one. I'm checking. I that agree one. with that. Yeah. So it is the movie called The Whale, and it is Darren Aronofsky's latest movie. Um, it's a movie about a morbidly obese man named Charlie, and that's who is played by Brendan Fraser. It's adapted from a play by a playwright named Samuel D. Hunter, and it effectively looks at the last week of what he thinks is going to be the last week of his life because he's been diagnosed with congestive heart failure. And because of his weight and because of, you know, kind of a lot of things going on, it just, it talks about the last seven days, um, whether or not he dies in the end, who knows? It it is a bit ambiguous, um, but it looks to kind of see him uh, attempt to reconnect with his daughter. Um, He has, who's played by Sadie Sink, who is absolutely phenomenal. I really, really love her. I thought she was great. Pravda's like shrugging at me right now. (laughs) But I thought she was amazing. Um, Hong Chow plays his friend stroke caretaker. And I thought she was phenomenal in it as well. And yeah, it's it's, um, a movie that has definitely been fairly controversial for a variety of reasons. Many of which like we can't, we just don't even have the time to get into something like that right now. Um, but the reason I want to start off with this one and the reason I was really quick to say this is the one that we have to talk about is because Prapta and I are a bit on, I don't want to say opposite ends. I'm not going to say opposite because I think we're merely on opposing views on this one, but I don't think we're too far off from one another. So I'm going to let you go first. Um, what do you think of the movie and why are you wrong? <laughs> 
you mean why am I right? Uh, uh, so Brendan Fraser is amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the best performances. I mean, hands down. I mean, he's. I think he's a shoe in for the Oscar. He's great. The movie isn't. Okay. okay. Yeah, and so I I love Aronofsky. I love the Black Swan, the Wrestler. I love these really dark character pieces that kind of you know they're. They're very cold and exacting, but at the same time, very heartfelt and introspective. Uh, and I like how that little heartfelt part of it kind of underpins his kind of predisposition, you know, he has for the like gloom and doom and, and misery. And this is, again, another for, you know, foray into that. But this time I, I felt no, I felt nothing. I felt no heart <laughs> around it. I mean, every time Frazier's not on the screen, I'm, I'm just empty. I'm sinking. In, you know, I'm just like, you know, laying in my, in my chair like that. Like, okay, can we get to back to Frasier? Uh, and I think a lot of the movie, it's heart rests on Frasier and he ends up carrying the movie forward. And I think his performance is so amazing is that he ends up actually towering over the rest of it and actually exposing its kind of critical failures. And I mean, the only thing I take out of it is Frasier's amazing performance and if this is the start of the phrase erection i'm it's okay if it started on a bad movie i'm ready for it wow i okay so i agree with you the best thing about the movie is brendan fraser like hands down that that is absolutely the best thing about the movie for me i'm not actually a huge darren aronofsky fan i'm not not a fan but he's not a director where i go oh aronofsky got a new one out i gotta go watch that like that's i've never been like that and then for no reason whatsoever, it's just his movies never really have clicked with me like that. But one thing I'll say with him is he's a very stylistic director. I think he he stylizes movie quite a bit. And The Whale, I thought, was an opposite of that. The Whale, because it is a stage play, right? It's a stage play. So it's very simple in its production design. It takes place pretty much all within an apartment, like within the, the common area of the apartment as well. And those movies for some people don't work. I love stage adaptations of film or film adaptations of stage plays. I love those. I think that like they're, they're really interesting to see from a technical perspective. Um, and I, for me, I'm like, I don't think it's the groundbreaking movie that a lot of people are kind of thought it might be. I think that the hype definitely goes to Frasier, but I still found it a moving film and you know, the, I I'm gonna just put it out there. I like like I said, we're not gonna really dive too much into this, but um, there is an issue with uh, the way that obese people are being portrayed in it. I know that online, a lot of people have taken you know taken issue with the fact that one, Fraser is wearing a fat suit uh, throughout, and two, there is language being used in there that is not very complimentary of him or um, his weight, like the character's weight, but. Again, that's a that's a story for another day, and that's something that I personally think a lot of people are being a little bit misguided yeah. on. Um, but to me, I think that I th- I like the movie. I think it's a good movie. I think it's a. I don't think it's bad. I don't like. I would disagree with you that I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a good movie. Um, but I would say, yeah, Brendan Fraser probably does overtower it. I like what you say about the fact that he's so good that it kind of shows you just how bad the movie is because he does show it's where it's lacking, but. Um, I really like Sadie Sink. So you you kind of gave me a little bit. Of, eh, I didn't really like Sadie Sink. Uh, what was your what's what's your problem with her? <laughs> Why do you I, I, her? I I love Sadie Sink. Trust me, I'm on the Sadie Sink 
fan club. I I'm st- I started <laughs> it, okay? But, you know, I really wish that she just didn't do Max 2.0 from Stranger Things. I just kept thinking she just kept doing the whole Max shtick again. Like oh, that, okay. Yeah, kind of just being the, you know, you know, little, little, you know, little mean kid who is has a soft side to her but it's obscured by all this kind of like tough you know stoic stoic type of look and i just you know she was okay she was fine right but next to fraser and, and especially next to hong chow i mean it's just it's just it was kind of too much like it, it was just kind of a disparity for me and i and i think she is also part of one of the big issues out of the movie it's, it's so one note the movie is just hammering the same thing that's over a good and point over yeah and over and over again all their scenes play out the same exact way with fraser kind of being the the individual who kind of tries to appeal to her her to her nicer side her, her kind of the lighter shades uh, of, her, of her life and it's just it, i mean after like 20 30 scenes of just seeing the same thing over and over again i'm just like can you know can we can we tap into something more meaningful and because of this whole one noteness and kind of how strident kind of like, you know, you know, very unsubtle the movie is. I mean, it, it, it tempts to be with kind of the allegories to like Moby Dick and, and, and all that. It just, I felt the whole one noteness really just made it feel like an experience that's not authentic, sincere. Uh, and especially for a movie that's all about trying to tap into honesty. I mean, Frazier's character always goes about, you know, wants to write honestly, be your most authentic self. Mm -hmm. And he tries to come to some sort of self-acceptance about who he is, you know, about his size and, and and just coming to terms with that. I think the movie itself isn't, isn't honest. Like it's just very manipulative because of the whole one noteness. And it just, it, it doesn't reach that level of authenticity, sincereness, kind of heartfelt edge that it, it doesn't reach that for me at all. And uh i really it's one of the biggest disappointments for me for tiff because this oh, is one that's I was too really, bad that really, sucks really like forward to. um that i think that really sucks because i yeah i think when you're looking forward to something and it doesn't pan out that really sucks i will also say though i this is the first thing i've ever seen sadie sink and i don't watch stranger things so oh, that probably not. helped a lot for me that like i to me she was a brand new actress and i'm like who is this girl she's really good and yeah so i really liked her um okay so the next movie that we're going to talk about is one that I basically kind of pushed this on you because I was like scrolling <laughs> through your tilt magazine, like your, your, your coverage for this. And I was just kind of seeing where you are, where you were at with some of these movies. Um, and I didn't read the review because I wanted to, to wait, <laughs> but I read the headline and you, I'm pretty confident. And you said this to me, I think you're the only person who liked my policeman. Um, everybody that came out of that screening was just like i what the hell was that i felt nothing kind of what you're saying about the whale where they're just like i felt nothing um but you liked it so yeah talk talk to us about um my policeman uh yeah so uh before i kind of get in the movie that my policeman is it's a love triangle but it's kind of through the lens of uh like a budding gay romance and so it takes uh, it stars Harry Styles uh, as a as a police officer. It's kind of clean cut looking, you know, picturesque uh, ideal of a man uh, in the fifties in London. And he, you know, starts a relationship with a school teacher played by uh, played great, amazingly by by Emma Corrin. And the two of them always have this third voice, this third best friend uh, who's a museum curator, curator, and the 
uh, him, uh, the museum creator played by uh, David Dawson, starts uh, to engage in kind of a, a you know a sexual uh, affair with uh, Harry Styles, and it kind of blossoms into this hidden clandestine type of desire and full of revelations and and uh, uh, and looking at uh, looking at kind of hiding the the relationship because it takes place in the 50s but also at the same time what what the film film does is it kind of cuts back to their future selves after all those revelations uh and it kind of balances the two which i i personally think is the weakest part of the film because it puts so much emphasis on the the 50s storyline that what when you see uh the characters who are who are kind of broken and in the ashes kind of embers of that 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 that, that encounter uh it's kind of it's kind of more hollow and and it, it's really the story is all about the past and and the future aspect really isn't balanced well and there's not really that much depth to it which is my issue uh but i i will die on this hill that this movie is good it it is it is very it okay i want to say very good it's it's good even though it doesn't reach its full potential it, it could have been a, a much stronger film if it didn't lean into the whole melodrama as much uh, and uh, if it balanced its two uh, parallel storylines uh, in a meaningful way. But the strongest aspect of the film is are its visuals. I, I thought this was a very well shot film uh, and just the color grading uh, and just kind of this visual dichotomy it creates between the future, uh, I'm sorry, the present and the past uh, and just how beautifully framed it is. And especially the, uh, the, the, the sex scenes are really shot with kind of this tender, warm, a lens that I, I really liked, and uh, a lot of people are are hating on the film's kind of depiction of of the, you know the gay relationships and how it's kind of this outdated way of looking at it. But the way I I approached it instead was like it's it's kind of this expose of you know the multitude, you know the sheer magnitude of how many gay stories are are lost to time, right? And I, I was really really moved by that aspect. And then going on the performances. David Dawson, Emma Crin are amazing. Harry Styles, he's good. He's good. <laughs> he he's not he's not gonna win an Oscar. He's not revelatory, but he doesn't he doesn't need to be. Uh, I think he works well in the role, and clearly when he's on screen, there is kind of this gap between you know, David Dawson and and Emma Crin between him. But he's not distractingly bad. Like he's not terrible either. And I've seen so many reviews just scathing him, just saying it's time for his citizen's arrest on his acting career. <laughs> that was one headline I read. And I was like, what? Come on, give Jeez. the guy a break. He's been in like two movies. you know. And I think part of what, what kind of motivated is this whole don't worry, darling uh, yeah. kind of wave. I think a lot of people want to jump on the, the hate Harry Styles train. Uh, you know, he's like, a, he's like a singer. Why does he need to act? Uh, and... I guess, you know, too tepidly received movies not going to do great for his acting career, how it start. But I think he works fine in the film and he's not distracting. And so I think as the story moves along, I was very, I was very moved by it. I, I, more I can say for The Whale, to be honest. But <laughs> but, oh, uh, but it's not like a masterpiece or anything. But I was moved by it and I think it's, it's a slightly above average uh, romance film. I do feel a little bit for Harry Styles because um, I like obviously the reason he's getting kind of bigger roles is, is because he is Harry Styles and he was like one of the biggest pop stars for a time. Like, and when I say one of the biggest, that's probably really underestimating him because 
he was it's like it's wild how popular he was for a time and i think he still is actually that popular like i say for a time i think he still is that popular um and yeah and i mean like most young actors they get to start off in like shitty movies and you know it's all right but he kind of got thrown into like a really big spotlight quite early on with um dunkirk and i actually remember saying to somebody i was like hairstyles he's fine i really liked him in dunkirk and someone's like he literally says like five things in dunkirk and he eats a sandwich i'm like fair enough like that maybe wasn't yeah he did eat that sandwich pretty well though i would say he did i was very convinced that he was hungry i was convinced by him i was really convinced by him um okay well i you know i'm i'm really excited to watch uh my policeman just out of kind of a bit of a curiosity in that you know how is he um or how the story is because of people's reactions were just so absurd about it yeah i I don't think i don't think they were warranted but one fun (laughs) one fun thing i was actually at the press screening in the morning and the press conference followed it and harry styles and the whole cast were actually out there and one point i'll give to harry styles that actually he did give a good answer as to why he wanted to be in the movie he didn't he didn't say it's a movie it's a movie as I want, it looks like a movie, you know, the whole popcorn, big screen movie. He actually went into, you know, talking about uh, how he didn't really see it as a gay coming out of story, but how he wanted to just focus on the romance of it and how it's, uh, and, and fix it on, you know, you know, the pain of wasted potential. And then how do you reconcile with that? And he was giving pretty good answers. Uh, and I think he really wanted to be part of this movie. And, he, and like you said, he was thrust onto it. And I think he did an okay job with it. That's good. I, yeah, I mean, hopefully, I don't know why I say hopefully. I'm not like in like big supporter of Harry Styles, but like I, I feel I do feel I do feel for him a little bit because I think that you're right. A lot of the um, negativity surrounding him at the moment has a lot to do with "Don't Worry, Darling," and that I don't know if is necessarily his fault or whatever. So, but we'll see how that movie goes. Um, okay, cool. So, going from a movie that I had genuinely no interest in which is my policeman (laughs) um maybe maybe i'm a little more interested now but it just wasn't something that really appealed to me um we're gonna move to a movie that i kind of heard about it and i thought this is completely up my street even though i knew very little about it and as it would turn out it indeed was completely up my street and that is the menu Uh, it's directed by mark malloyd i'm gonna say that's probably not how to pronounce his surname and it has Ray Fiennes, Anya Taylor Joy, Nicholas Holt, Hong Chow again, who she I love her in this movie too. She's I think this I prefer her in this than I did in the Whale. She's so good. Uh, so the menu is a very dark comedy, um, a very nasty comedy, and it's about a group of diners who are who have a reservation for a restaurant that's located out on some remote Island. And it's like a really exclusive restaurants by some Michelin star chef. And it dives into this kind of weird food culture that we find ourselves in uh, these days where everything is super, super pretentious. And uh, it's not even just like food, food Instagrammers and all that. They touch on that a little bit, but they also just talk about like just the high pretension of what f- high fine dining has become basically. Um, this is one of those movies that I think that is best to go in pretty blind. Like if you don't really know what you're expecting, if you don't know what it is, it's probably better that way, which is an odd choice for us to choose for, or for me to choose to talk about. Um, but the reason I just want to talk about this, cause like one, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was really great. And the performances are all across the board, 
really, really amazing. They are so, so good. Like Ray Fiennes, I love him. And I think he's, he should do more kind of this darkish comedy because he's really, really good at it. Um, and Anya Taylor-Joy, she's a joy to watch on screen. She really is. And I, yeah, I, everybody in the movie, I thought served just, just incredibly served really, really well. And um yeah, like we're not going to give anything away, as we said before at the top. But um, how did you find this movie? I know you were you were up on it too, though. Definitely one of the highlights yeah. of the festival. Movie. Really, really, just one of the best satires, uh, like yeah. of just this whole fine dining world, and how it just perfectly taps into the kind of the milieu of like the condescension and the pretension yeah. that kind of fuels it. Uh, and as much as I love. Uh, the way it was shot, the way it was filmed, kind of it kind of makes this uh it makes its setting, it's like opulent setting into kind of like this this prison. Uh I really think this movie would definitely would not have worked without Ray Fiennes. Yeah. Uh, Ray Fiennes is is the glue holding it together. And I think in my opinion, I think he might even just be the the best like, this is the best performance I've seen at, at TIFF. Like it's just every every frame he's on he just towers over the rest of the cast commands it i mean you're just glued he doesn't even say anything he's just staring into the void and you're just like oh my yeah. god give me more give me more of fine <laughs> and it's just i was I, I know the crazy part about this movie was that i saw it at a like an eight o'clock press screening and the whole audience was going crazy at 8 a.m awesome. just watching this movie it was amazing it felt like it felt like I was like in this time warp. Like it does nothing matters. Just glue onto the screen to see what happens to this like depraved group of you know this idle rich that go wrong. And yeah. you know what? I thought John Leguizamo was actually pretty good in it. I mean, he hasn't like John Leguizamo is really great in it. And you know, obviously, because of his career, the way it's gone. I mean, you know, we don't really get to say that often, but I'm happy when we do. Uh, and yeah, he was he worked very well in it and uh i actually love the, the the running gags between his, uh, his character and kind of this this movie that he starred in uh and <laughs> uh and i think the the rest of the cast uh, nicholas holt was amazing in it he's really uh, he was so like delectably depraved in it i just yeah. i just loved everything he's doing and it begs the question why is he in more stuff uh, i don't know why nicholas holt isn't in more movies yeah i agree and it's I don't know what it is about him. What was his big claim to fame? I feel like it was some kind of young teen thing. It's like that he, ha- he looks. Oh, was it? He looks really young. I will say that he has quite a baby face on him, which I, I don't know how that's going to work as he gets older. But um, he, to me, I think might be like in terms of the character, he's the worst character. Like just in, not not bad, like a bad performance. Like he's the worst person in that room, like for a variety of reasons. Um, but to John Leguizamo, what you're saying, one of my favorite lines in that movie was like such a throwaway little joke was when um, one of the other diner recognizes him was like, hey, man, like, what do you what do you got coming up next? And he goes and he's like, oh, thank you so much for asking. He's like, I've moved on to the hosting phase of my career. I'm like, That's so funny. <laughs> the hosting phase of my career i thought that was oh, such man. a funny like and it was such like a little tiny line and it's like kind of yeah. but it was so funny to me um this is a great crowd movie it's a great movie to see in a theater with a bunch of people because for sure there's there's just little notes on it that come up and it's they're hilarious and it's not even lines necessarily like there's like some Again, I don't want to spoil it, but like there's like little bits that just show up on screen and yeah um and they're really really funny and 
I mean, the ending too is, is amazing. Like, and the thing that's, I find interesting is like, there is a bit of heart to it as well. Like it's not just completely insanely dark and, and cold and steely. Like there is heart, like I, you know, back to what we were saying with, with the whale and Aronofsky, it's like there, there is heart to this men to the menu, even if like so briefly, really, really briefly, um, because this movie is not about the good side of things or the good side of people or society. It's like, it is taking a big satirical shot at how ridiculous we've all become about our food choices and dining and experiences and all that kind of nonsense. So, but it's, it's phenomenal. I, I can't say enough things about the menu and I can't wait for people to go out and watch that one. Cause I think it'll be a really fun one. Do you think Ray Fines would get any award consideration for it? Like, do you think this is going to be one of those things like where it's a comedy, but maybe, maybe it makes its way in. I think if anybody in the film gets award recognition, it's Rafe. It would be Rafe Fines. Uh, but I just think just the way uh, it's this this like takedown of the rich and everything, yeah. and just the way it's 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 branded as yeah. a comedy first and not like yeah. the serious Oscar Beatty type of drama. I, I the most I see it getting in is like probably the Golden Globes or, or some yeah. small film critics uh, awards, but I, I don't see it making any uh, much of a big splash at the Oscars. Which is too bad, which is too bad because this is one of those movies that I think um, should get more recognition because I mean, well, it hasn't even come out yet. So, uh, but if, yeah, whenever it's coming out, if you're into like kind of darker comedies, I think this is definitely, definitely one to check out. Um, okay. Moving on oh, to another movie that, um, so you talked about the, you had a great crowd for the menu. Um, I did too. I went to a public screening. I had a very, very good crowd for it. Everyone was super, super into it. Um, and then this next movie that we're going to talk about, which is the Banshees of Ishirin. Ishirin? Ishirin. Ishirin. I wrote it wrong in my notes. Pretty, um, maybe, maybe, um, that's why, maybe that's why we dock one point in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a great crowd for that too. I went to, um, I saw it at the Royal Alex and I had an amazing crowd for that. Everyone was just, just really, really into it. And um, it's funny how that can kind of help a movie out quite a bit. This is one of those movies that if you liked in Bruges, if you're into Irish film, if you're into Colin Farrell, like or Mar- Martin McDonough, this is one that was on everybody's radar and everyone got super hyped when they found out they were doing another movie together. Um, it's not just Colin Farrell. It also has Brendan Gleeson in it and they kind of reunite as a little in Bruges re- re- reunion in this one, which is lovely. And it also has a young British, or sorry, a young Irish star, um, Barry Keegan, who I love that he's in this because to me, he does represent like the next generation of Irish actors. And when we were growing up, like there was a great amount of Irish talent that came out from, from Colin Farrell, uh, Jonathan Reese Myers, who we don't really hear from very much anymore, but he, he's a phenomenal actor, Killian Murphy, of course, like those guys. And so it's kind of neat that we're seeing another generation like Saoirse Ronan's obviously she's amazing um but Barry Keegan I thought he's cool and I love that he's in this and also shout out to Carrie Condon who's in it and she plays um Siobhan who's the sister of Pudrick who's um uh Colin Farrell's character and uh she was also in um Better Call Saul which is how I knew her at first she plays uh uh Mike Ehrmantraut's daughter-in-law uh so didn't know she wasn't American, to be honest. She's just a great American accent. I had no idea she was Irish. So, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I I absolutely love this movie. And I think 
it's competing with uh, Decision to Leave as my favorite of the festival. I, oh, I, wow. I'm okay. Ab- okay. I'm absolutely in love with everything about this movie. I mean, the way it's the way it's shot just has this really mysterious kind of cinematic quality to it. And it kind of, it kind of, it's very eerie, but still like endearing. Uh, and I just love this exploration of just male pain and yeah. just, and just what it means to, to lose a friend and just, you know, the, the necessity of friendship in life and just, you know, kind of the impact of, of what isolation does to you. And it actually, it, it has, it kind of, it had a very personal touch on me just because actually one of my, my, my best friends just last month, he, he actually moved away for, for school. Mm. And so it's like, I'm kind of going through with uh, what, what Colin Farrell's character experience where like you, you lose this kind of con- connection, like the person's still there, but you just, that kind of camaraderie that you have with that person is kind of, it's put on hold and, you know, for, for a while. And so I was really, I was really found myself in, in his shoes and kind of just being just like sulking and, and just looking at like, why, you know, why, 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 why did this have to happen to me? Why? Uh, uh, yeah, it was just, it, it's just one of those complete cin- like cinematic experiences for me where on every cylinder it's firing just from the performances. I mean, Brendan Gleeson, he's amazing in everything he does. Uh, uh, and I, I absolutely loved Carrie Condon. I think she was actually one of the highlights uh, of the Great. film. Uh, and uh, at, at, at the screening that I was actually at, she was she was there, and and she oh she, wow yeah, and she she actually went uh, on to, to to explain you know how she she like what her what she brought to the role, like what kind of angle she was looking at it as, and she she kind of w- was saying that she kind of brought like this kind of uh, like over like this kind of like sympathetic edge to to her character where she feels bad. Uh, like she wanted to tap into kind of like feeling bad for people, but just being helpless to help them because you have to do, you have to do what you want to do in, in your own life, right? You have your own path that you want to take. And even though you want to bring your loved ones with you, you have to kind of let that go and let them kind of salt, you know, kind of ruminate in their type of misery. And so I, nice. I, I like that aspect about it too. One of the things I wanted to, to ask you about this movie was that uh, why do you think McDonough chose to set it during the, the context of the Irish civil war? Like, why do you think he That's decided? That's a good question. It, yeah, I mean, of... it's set in in the 1920s, um, in a in a remote island off of the main the mainland republic of of the Isle of Ireland, if you will. Like, it's set off on, on an island off of the island um, called Inishirin. Inishirin. I'm really struggling to say that this morning. Inishirin. Um, and and yeah, and it's it's it's. Yeah, so it's set on this remote island, and which makes it kind of even more lonely, as you said, because it strikes that like these two men, all of a sudden, one of them just says, "I don't want to be your friend anymore," um, which is, I don't think, was what happened with you and your friend. <laughs> I think one <laughs> friend just said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off and, and like, you know, get an education somewhere else." So, yeah. um, but this was like, yeah, like two two men, one guy just being like, "I just don't want to be friends anymore," and the other guy's like, "Well, why not?" You know, and Colin Farrell does it brilliantly he's so good in this um but you like why would you set it during the 20s yeah that's a good question i i think it's an interesting time period i love the idea that you know it was a much more simpler time back then because you didn't have um especially there like they didn't they didn't have um you know television none of them have tvs right like none of them have phones let alone tvs right so and 
I think by making it set during a time of bit of discontent as well, maybe those are the moments that you're supposed to be more introspective, like kind of what was going on in the world the last couple of years, right? Like I think everybody became a little bit more introspective about their relationships, whether it's friendships, romantic relationships, family relationships, um, because that's all you kind of have in those times. And I feel like maybe that's why when you set it back into the, a, a time period where things are relatively simple because there's there's not much distraction, all you have are your friends and your family. Um, and then put on that there are, you know, there's a war going on. There's a civil war happening at the same time. It just makes you, well, it's supposed to make you value your friendships more. But in this case, it made one guy go, yeah, I won't be your friend anymore. Because like, and but it it's kind of the same thing. It just it makes you reevaluate your life and like, who do you want to spend your time with? Who do you want to you know have in 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 your inner circle or whatever you want to call it? Um, so yeah, it, it is an interesting time period to set it, and I love the aesthetic of it because I like like they're all kind of in these very nice cable knits and like it's it's all very <laughs> lovely and uh yeah it's, it's it's a super irish movie as well i'm like i know that there are going to be some people who go i do not understand a word of what these people are saying like because they do they go heavy in on on the irish accent and the slang as well and i was like i there's got to be people who are like i could use some closed captioning like some subtitles probably <laughs> One thing I was gonna say, you you really like the the filming of it. I actually kind of push against that a little bit. I didn't like the, the drone shots. There were too many, and it bothered me after a while for some reason. It like I pr- would have preferred them to just stay on the island and just like kind of at ground level. But like then it kept taking everybody into the sky, and I was like, the clouds look cool, sure, but you know, I, I could have done without that. Cause for some reason to me, it just took me out of it almost. Cause I, I just would have preferred it to be more isolated in the Island versus here's the world. Although I guess maybe it provides a bit of relativity of where the Island is. Yeah. I think part of the, the film, uh, like it tap, it kind of a lot of the film is, or part of the film kind of talks about, or, or kind of explores like this kind of, like mythic mythical aspect of it kind of this like pro- yeah. prophecy where like you have these 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 type of you know witches or 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 you know these kind of supernatural presence that kind of kind of take you along like kind of pl- explain the plot and they, they kind of they, they give you little nit- tidbits of like where the story is going to go and and that person actually appears a lot during the film as well and uh i think just having kind of cinematography that kind of like looks at this island it's kind of this like one small kind of like block of uh, space yeah like this rock this rock lost to time basically and and, uh where uh you know something i think it serves as kind of like a allegory for kind of like well they're kind of headspace where it's like you know you know it's it's this island that's not even part of mainland Ireland it's kind of this place that like everyone wants to leave but you're stuck there and uh and you're kind of lost into your own kind of misery and, and gloom and I just I, I really I actually appreciated some of the more kind of uh drone shots because it kind of went into kind of this kind of ethereal type of kind of like a- aspect of it. it kind of that's why I, I call the film like mysteriously cinematic it, it just even though it's a comedy it's very funny like the filming it's very like pensive and somber and very melancholic yeah. I, I i really like that kind of type of dichotomy and i actually do agree with uh how how you went about explaining just why it's set during the uh the, the irish civil war 
Uh, and I, and your answer is just as right as anybody's because that question was asked at the at the premiere to Martin uh-huh. McDonough, and his answer was like, "Yeah, I'm not explaining it." Except oh, <laughs> I like that though. I, I I prefer when people like I know songwriters are are notorious for doing this too, just saying like, "We're, we're not going to tell you what the song is about." Um, it's whatever it means to you. And I, I kind of appreciate that from like filmmakers and, and people like that. Cause it, it is up to our own interpretation. That's funny though, how he's just like, not telling you. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he, there's probably maybe not really a good reason for it either. He's just like, yeah, I just kind of like the twenties. <laughs> it's like a fun little yeah. time to talk about it. Like whatever. Oh, that's funny though. Um, yeah. So I, I believe Colin Farrell, he won the, uh, an acting award at Venice for this one, which you and I talked about this when we saw each other at the Fablemans, which was cause you were like, he, he wasn't here. And I thought he would be here. I was very disappointed. Um, I'm pretty sure he would have been though, had he not won the award. Cause it's like, I, I already said this to you, but um, apparently uh, what's her name? Kate Blanchett, Kate, Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. She was meant to be at TIFF this year um, for, for a film, I think documentary now, but because she won um, the acting award in Venice for tar, she ended up not being able to make it. So there's a good chance that that was what happened with Colin Farrell, but he deserves it. This was a, great performance like i was so on board with him and um colin farrell's one of those actors that he started out doing kind of more actiony stuff yeah. you know that was his thing at the beginning like swat and phone booth and that and i i love him in those like alexander was not great but um, <laughs> he's so funny like that's the thing is he is such a funny funny dude and you can see that in his interviews, but also just he has such good comedic timing for scripted stuff. Um, I love that he does it. And I love that when he does do comedies, he's doing like Irish comedies because there is a different sensibility that they have that um, I love that it, it comes out for him um, in an Irish movie versus in a Hollywood movie where maybe it, yeah. wouldn't, it wouldn't land as well. But yeah. And also, you know, as much as I love the Renaissance. Uh, it is, <laughs> this is called, this is Colin Farrell's year. I mean, with this and after Yang, I mean, yes. I, just love, I, I just love, uh, you know, how he's doing these kind of oddball kind of independent projects. He's kind of shedding that kind of blockbuster type of he's done you know, that, persona that he had. Yeah. And I, I, he's one of my favorite working actors today. And, uh, it just makes me even more upset that I didn't see him at the premiere. <laughs> I would have, I would have I liked to, 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 for him to explain, uh, you know, what, you know, what he, what his mindset was, what he brought to the role, because it, it, it really is like a full fledged kind of rounded performance where he taps into the comedy so well. And like you said, his timing is impeccable, but then he also nails the more somber yeah. aspects. And, uh, and I really, I saw myself in him. Uh, I, 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 yeah, it just one of the best like experiences for me at TIFF. I, I really, really love it. Oh, I'm so glad that works for you. That's awesome. I, yeah, I love it. I think it's, it's definitely going to be one of the bigger movies for the year i think i don't i was gonna say for awards i don't know because sometimes they're not as generous with these types of movies but um yeah he's phenomenal in it um okay so moving on i'm gonna go into my solo pick it's one that you didn't see but i've been talking about this movie anytime anybody asked me for like the last 10 days because i got i was lucky i got to see this just before the festival started um and i also ended up making room in my schedule to watch it again because i genuinely love this movie a lot and uh for me, this is my favorite film of the festival, I think. Wow. Like, but I'm pretty sure this is the one that's, that's my favorite. And it's, um, it's a Canadian movie called Brother. It's directed by Clement Virgo. It's the first feature film he's done in ages. He's been working in TV mostly, but he's 
he's got a phenomenal filmography too. For people who aren't too familiar with Clement Virgo's work, go and check it. Especially his first movie is called Rude, and it's a mm. great double feature to this movie. Rude's a little bit hard to get um, uh, get a copy of though. To be honest, like I it, I wanted to watch it ahead of time, but like it's it's a tough movie to get a hold of. Uh, so the film is set in Scarborough, Ontario, and in the early 90s. Uh, and it's about a Jamaican family uh, who immigrated to Canada. And it's a single mom with her two sons, Francis and Michael. Francis is played by British actor Aaron Pierre, who's fun- like, he's probably my favorite performance. And he's definitely the favorite, like, revelation performance of just like who the hell is this guy like he's so 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 good in this movie uh and then michael the younger brother is played by uh, a canadian actor from scarborough actually which i appreciated and his name is lamar johnson the movie goes about it's about brothers obviously i mean who's in the title but it's it's from the perspective of the younger brother and it's told in a non-linear format it's based off of a very very popular book um by the same name and it is a what I gravitated towards was number one, the idea of this mother who's like an immigrant mother into this country. And all she wants to do is provide her kids with a better life. And that's what every immigrant parent is. That's, that's their thing. The reason they came to Canada is because they want their kids to have a better life and they want to protect their children as well. And they want them to be safe in this world, in this country that seems foreign, you know, the, country's not for white people either quite frankly but they were kind of the first ones to decide to come over here and start a genocide but that's besides the point um, <laughs> but the, the point is you know when when you know indian families chinese families black families when they come to this country they are the ones who kind of stick out a little bit in certain areas not not everywhere but there's some places that it's more chinese people than other people let's be honest um but with brother it was just like it would it broke my heart to see this this woman who was really trying to protect her kids and not like doing everything that she possibly could do to protect her children um and feeling like she failed she failed them and there's also an aspect of francis which is the older brother like i said played by aaron pierre who he's this really big dude like he's tall he's muscular he's like the guy, everyone wants to be his friend. Every girl wants to date him. And he's dealing with a lot of internal demons that he doesn't let himself, he doesn't let his mother see. He doesn't let his brother see because he's supposed to be the older brother. And because the father's not in the picture, he's de facto the head of the family in that sense. Like he's the man of the, of, of the house. Uh, and it it's, it's, there's like an unfolding tragedy that kind of happens throughout the film. And you flash back between when they were children, when they're in high school, and then after the tragedy happens. Um, and, and the film just kind of plays out to show you what happened and, and things like that. So it was just a movie that really worked for me. It was it was very, uh, the word that I came out with the most after watching it was very overwhelming. It was just something that like hit a chord with me and, or struck a chord with me rather. And yeah, I, and I, I watched it twice. I'll watch it again whenever it comes out in theaters. Wow. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really loved it. And it will most likely be on my top 10 at the end of the year. Uh, I, have a, I have a question regarding the movie. Um, yeah. In terms of just it's it's like filmmaking style, I mean, like, would you say it's kind of like it's very dependent on its visuals? Or would you say it's it's one that's really more about its script or its dialogue or, and its that's performances? Yeah. 
Good question. I would say it's more about the script and the performances because I think it's it's definitely more story-based than it is um, production-based. And part of the thing that I do f- kind of find a little bit funny is it is a Scarborough movie. And however, they don't shoot a lot of it in Scarborough. Oh. It is shot in Toronto, but I can't remember exactly the reason it is in the press notes, but they basically say like, uh, they, I guess they just couldn't find the spot that they wanted to um, that worked for them in Scarborough. So they ended up going to another part of Toronto, which uh, it's on Lawrence, but like just a bit further West, I think. And yeah, which is a bit of a shame because I think like, it's like the, there was a movie called Scarborough that came out in last year, I guess. Uh, yeah. Was it last year? Or was it this year? Time is evading me. But that one shows off kind of bits of Scarborough that are very familiar to people who are from the area. Um, yeah, I, I would say it relies a lot more on that. But the, the thing is, though, the, the the filmmaking of it, the thing that struck me the most with with Brother in terms of the filmmaking and the the that aspect of it is the colors that they use. You know, Clement mm. Virgo chose to use quite bright colors when things are happy, when things are good. And he's done quite a bit of press for it. And he was talking about how it's like, you know, trying to represent Caribbean culture, which is very bright. It's very colorful. And so the house or the apartment that they live in, each wall is painted like a different color. It's like a really bright, vibrant color. Yeah. It's lovely. And then he was, you know, I, little flex. I actually got to interview him. Uh, It was no big deal, Uh, but I got to interview interview him and I was talking to him about the apartment because it's, they made it on a soundstage in Toronto. They, they didn't go to an apartment like an existing one. So he got to build it. And he said he built it from his own memory. So he grew up in Rexdale. He didn't grow up in in Scarborough, but he grew up um, as an immigrant from Jamaica. And I asked him about the kitchen because I'm always fascinated with kitchens in in movies or in shows, especially when it's like not a white family because I always think the the kitchen is very key in in households. (laughs) And it's like, and it's never the the pristine kitchen that we see most of the time in it. Like if you look at a real household, especially if, if, you know, Asian, Caribbean, whatever, it's like a funky kitchen. And it's just like, there's, there's something about it. That's a very intangible quality to it. And I think he nailed it on that sense. Cause he said, he just took it from memory. He says he, he, he built into his kind of from when he was a kid and, and what he remembered from that. So yeah. So brother's going to be one of those movies that it, it'll have a release in Canada uh, I don't know about the States, but definitely it will be a movie to, to watch. They don't have a release date yet, uh, but yeah, keep, keep, keep your eyes peeled for that one. Cause I think it's a great one. Yeah. And now you just made me feel bad that I missed it. So <laughs> I watched it twice in the festival and you didn't even watch it once. Uh, no, it's like, Hey, there's so many movies to watch. There's not, I missed a few that I feel bad about missing, but what are you going to do? All right, so we're going to move on to our last movie, which is, again, I talked about how at the very, very top, the first time you and I met was randomly being sat next to each other at Cha-Cha Real Smooth. This time around, I went into the Fablewinds screening and just happened to be sitting next to you. And we didn't even buy the tickets on the same day. We didn't coordinate with each other whatsoever. Um, so I thought that that was really funny. But this is, of course, Steven Spielberg's new movie. Um, it is... His first movie where he talks about his own life, he talks about his childhood, his upbringing, and 
it, which is it's an interesting thing that like it's the first time he's ever really told something this personal. Usually his films have a bit of distance between him. They might he's always dealing in daddy issues, as obviously I think most people know in his <laughs> movies. But you know, this is the first time where it's it it feels autobiographical in many ways. Um, I'm sure it's not completely. I'm sure there's a lot of fiction and exaggeration involved. Um, but let's see the cast of this is incredible. We've got Paul Dano and Michelle Williams who are playing his parents um, or Mr. And Mrs. Fableman, like so uh, his version of parents and uh, introducing a Canadian actor, Gabriel LaBelle, who played Sammy, which would have been young Stevie Spielberg. And fun fact um, that I just saw on Twitter last night was there is a movie that came out in TIFF called I Like Movies. And it's by a a critic, a, a film critic, Chandler Levac, who writes for the Globe and Mail. And this is her f- debut film. And she was saying she just remembered when she watched Fableman that Gabriel LaBelle auditioned for her movie <laughs> for the lead part in her movie. Yeah. Which is incredible. So Fableman's is set in the sixties. It's, it's about, you know, it's, it's Spielberg's life. Like I, I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's literally Spielberg's upbringing in his childhood and how he fell in love with directing and how he kind of came about becoming a filmmaker and, and just this natural talent that he has for it, which is very obvious. Uh, I sat with you during this, so I know exactly how you felt about each scene. And like, we both, we both loved it. We both really enjoyed it. And again, great audience for that one too. That one was a solid audience. Yeah. Uh, I actually was so immersed into the movie. Even when it, it, it starts, it, it, depicts like the home movies that he made yeah. i was watching it and i actually i actually i actually got lost and i started clapping at the home movie and i was yeah. like hey, what am i doing where am i That's, i was lost that was one of the funniest things where we it's, so it's like spielberg is remake he he I, I looked him up on wiki afterwards like those are movies he genuinely did make so he just remade his old movies that he started out doing when he was whatever 10 11 12 years old and they show one like in full and he's like displaying it to his voice. And then just to like my right, I just hear like this clap, like this really <laughs> quiet clapping and then stopping, realizing, oh, this is not the movie. Like this Brown Dutch is enjoying it. He's just like, go with Spielberg. I, I, was, I was so lost in it. Uh, and I just, I mean, it's Spielberg. You know what to expect. It's just, it's, it's shot so well. The the composition, yeah. the way he, the camera kind of cascades in and out throughout his life. It, it just, it, you know, I, you know, you get lost in it. Uh, and then on top of it, the performances, I mean, all of them, all of them yeah. worked uh, from the small cameos uh, from, uh, you know, Judd Hirsch. I mean, Tersh, Tersh yeah. is amazing. And then just uh, and even the, the main roles. I mean, Paul Dano, I think Paul Dano was my favorite performance in the film. Same. I think I, I, I love this kind of like tenderness he brought, but also kind of sternness. Like he, he really he really kind of tra- like traversed kind of this range of emotions. And I just, I really, really, really liked it. And uh, Michelle Williams, uh, I was actually kind of surprised she was kind of cast in the movie. Like I wouldn't think of her as like the prototypical Jewish, Jewish matriarch, but I think, <laughs> you know, I think, but she, she worked uh, very well in the film and you kind of sympathize and kind of empathize with her as, as we go along as well. But one of my trepidations actually going into the fable ones that I'm noticing this kind of trend of autobiographical films like you had Roma Alfonso Coron then you had Kenneth Branagh uh with Belfast which I call mm-hmm. Roma Light uh and then uh you have The Fablemans with Spielberg and then even later this year you're gonna have uh, Armageddon Time by, by James yep. Gray 
and it's just I'm kind of getting like it's I don't know if it's overindulgent or kind of masturbatory where like these filmmakers kind of just want to you know explore their lives but I really think the pandemic kind of brought this on I yes. think these guys realized that you know I might not have my chance to get my story out there so I might as well just just get it out there the best I can so but I think Fableman's uh is one that I think it's not over and overindulgent kind of let's say look at me I'm the best I think it's it 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 really is first and foremost a great just story in itself a great Spielbergian type of whimsical nice type of uh storytelling but at the same time it has kind of this endearing kind of edged personal edge to it and it comes across not only in the story itself through the dialogue visual but visually as well and at that final closing kind of joke just like this yeah cherry on top um completely agree with you i completely agree with you i think i think the pandemic on the on the point you're making about like a bunch of filmmakers coming out with more autobiographical stuff so i i believe spielberg's been toying around with this for a while like making this for a while but it wasn't until the pandemic where it really like they really started to actually work on a script for it so i know that he's been thinking about doing it but it's tough i mean i can't imagine trying to show off your childhood like warts and all um especially you know for them they there's a divorce in the family and there's this like it's it's tough so like i i understand why you know they might anybody would be a bit hesitant to want to put that to screen um i also think it's a bit of an age thing where it's like these directors that we grew up watching and that kind of i don't want to say past their prime i don't i don't want to put it that way but it's just like past the time where you know, Spielberg at one point was making so many movies, right? Like he's just churning them out and now he doesn't do as many. And it's, it's not like an energy thing. I think it's just, what more does he have to prove? Like all the movies that he wanted to make, I think he's made them. Um, And so I think now they're getting to a point where they're just older. And so, and I, I would even say like, I, I'm not saying Martin Scorsese is a gangster, an actual gangster in real life, but like the Irishman to me is such a, it's yeah it's a man at nearing like the back half of back nine of his life. And he's, he's looking back now and was it all worth it kind of thing. And I feel like we're just getting to that point where these filmmakers who are around the same age are all feeling the same thing. They're all kind of feeling that jolt of wanting to look back. And so I'm, I'm all here for it. Like I, I want to see more and I want to see more of these types of movies because the thing that I loved about the Fablemans the most, I think is, well, there are two things I really loved about it. Number one was um, the nostalgia of it. It reminds me of a movie that I would have watched when I was a kid. Cause I don't think they make movies like that. And the reason for that is probably because Spielberg directed about half of the movies that I ever saw as a child. So yeah. it's, it's very in keeping with just that type of family style movie that we grew up watching, which I don't really think exists anymore, which is, too bad like I, I feel like family movies aren't quite what they used to be which is a shame but so I love that um and then the other bit that I love is because Spielberg is one of those directors that he means a lot to a lot of people myself included like just some of the greatest moments of your childhood in terms of filming film film watching come from him and so it's interesting to get a bit of a peek behind the curtain of the man that is responsible for so many like your love for Jurassic Park, your love for E.T., you're afraid of sharks. Like, it was because of this guy. And so it's really cool to see a bit of of him in, in his own work, finally, where 
you get to see what made him him what made him and i'm one thing i was really glad about and i wasn't sure i don't know why i ever thought that he would do this because he's steven spielberg and he's way (laughs) above doing this but i was like i really hope they don't do like some random references like when there's a scene where they're at the beach for ditch day and i was like if a shark comes like flying through, oh my god! Goes, oh. You know, oh wow, this would be such a great idea for a movie. <laughs> like that would have pained that me a little been, bit. That would have been terrible. It would have been terrible. But again, he's that Steven Spielberg doesn't do that because he's Steven Spielberg. Quite frankly, he's one of the greatest directors of all time of the medium, and um, certainly of of an era where filmmaking in America was really, really taking off. So he was right at the forefront of that. So yeah, I love Fablelands. I'm with you on that one. I think it's yeah. and. I think, you know, as much as, you know, we were kind of kind of mad and taken aback by like he has never gone to TIFF, I think it's the yeah. the perfect film for his for you know, the yeah. culmination of his kind of filmmaking career, kind of finally premiering at TIFF. I think it was I think it was kind of, you know, kind of perfect note, uh, to, yeah. to finally get the the Spielberg film. Uh one of the only things I, I was confused about in the film was this like bully subplot and i, I oh. didn't really i was confused I, I didn't understand like the, yeah. like the dynamic between the two bullies and then especially near the end and i don't know if he was being intentionally cheesy or campy with that i was just that's how i one of those, it. yeah it, there was just this one just really small like 15 minute part or 10 minute part yeah. of the i was just confused like I, I didn't understand that dynamic there and what was going on and especially how that kind of subplot kind of conclude concludes at the end I, i'm still i don't know what to think of that 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 dynamic at the end but other than that i think it's pretty pretty perfect cinematic experience i feel like maybe he he hadn't let go of his west west side story bag at that point he hadn't he hadn't quite let that go yet because it was a very west side story moment of just like you know the the lines that he said i'm just like dude what is happening here you're right they looked like extras from west side story yeah they really did they look, they're like, they really I, I expected them to break out and be like, yes. I know they're just going to like start snapping. Their yeah. Going. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I agree like that. That was a very random, random thing, but yeah, I, I'm willing to overlook it and willing to forgive Mr. Spielberg for that. Cause um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I think Tiff should be fairly honored that they got that movie of all exactly. of the movies that, that he's, he's t- ever taken to a film festival. Like, I think, or just released in general. Like, I think that they should be fair, fr- pretty honored that that they he chose them to do this one. Um. All right. So those are the main movies we're going to watch now. Apart from Glass Onion, which I didn't watch that either. I wanted to, but then my schedule got all turned upside down and uh, couldn't end up fitting it in. We pretty much hit on most of the big movies of um, TIFF twenty two and. I think there's some good ones in there, some like some eh, some shaky ones, but like generally speaking, I think that they're all like I I, I had a pretty good TIFF experience in terms of what we watched. Um, there were some duds along the way, but not too too many. No, I didn't hate any movie that I saw. I'll, I'll say that there was no I movie I saw. That. <laughs> I, I absolutely hated a couple. Yeah, I I think I don't know. Maybe I just chose really well. I chose the ones that I thought that I would like, and so yeah, I went with that. Um, but let's give a couple a few minutes here of just um shouting out some other movies that we haven't been able to go in depth about but ones that we really like so Pravda, why don't you start us off um just a couple movies you want to give a shout out to and your least favorite of the festival yeah so i'll i'll, I'll start out with like one that I, I i like i want to to make sure and make sure that people 
watch this movie whenever it comes out because it blew me away. There was no buzz for it at all. I mean, it made a splash at Cannes. Uh, and other than that, I, I you know, it, there, nobody was talking about it. Everyone I talked about, did you see this movie? And no one saw it. And it's uh, Charlotte Wells' After Sun. Uh, and this movie blew blew me away. Uh, it, I saw it on my first day at a press screening uh, at Scotiabank. So, I mean, I was, I was freezing while watching it. But <laughs> uh, it's just the way Wells kind of taps into the act of remembrance and just memory and how she does it basically all through through images and through her through her imagery and just her approach to sound uh and and, and image it's just it's amazing and how you know one small thing i wanted to touch on the movie is just that how she chooses deliberately to to kind of fixate on uh shadows and reflections and just objects and I, I think just through that 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 type of a visual approach and kind of sonic approach to the film she kind of visually evokes you know the kind of refractional kind of murky obscured lens with which we remember our loved ones and it just it was a deeply affecting film about just kind of trying struggling to just remember how what are what these people mean to us and just like a small memory because the film itself it just it's it takes place just one summer vacation in Turkey in the nineties that that main character took with her, with her father. But the film deliberately never shows us what the future person looks like only through small little quick cuts or strobe effects. But that's, and, and we only see that small trip to, to, to Turkey. Uh, and it's just, I, I, I just like a rush of emotion, just like a, like literally like a swell just, just got me and it really touched me. And besides just the filming aspect, Paul Mescal, I want him to be my movie dad. He's the best movie. <laughs> he, he is amazing. Uh, and he deliberately has like a baby face in the film because like the two, the, the father and the daughter get mistaken for siblings a lot during the movie, but he just the perfect portrayal of just a flawed father. I loved it. I want him to be my dad. I want him to be my movie dad. But yeah. Nice. So that was, that's one of the movies that I, I really wanted to champion. And then just a tiny shout out to Triangle of Sadness. I loved that movie. That was the first movie I saw electric press screening one of the funniest most scathing type of type of takedowns of like the idle rich perfect double viewing with that in the menu perfect it'll make your day with triangle of sadness and the menu uh and fun fact i actually was watching triangle of sadness and during our screening the queen queen elizabeth ii passed away yeah. and so the perfect movie to watch this takedown of the rich and the privileged <laughs> and then the queen passes away during during the screening it was perfect i couldn't ask for anything better and um actually before i ask you that i so i heard a lot about after sun um i've heard it's really really great and that movie and i feel like every year tiff there's a couple movies or at least one movie that kind of emerges as the one that everyone's like hey did you watch this one like and a lot of people go shit i missed it but they try to find a way to fit it into the end of their schedule and i think that the two this year were after sun and how to blow up a pipeline those were the two that seemed to catch so much word of mouth throughout the 10 days um and unfortunately i wasn't able to fit either in but i i do really want to watch both of them um i've heard wonderful wonderful things about after sun so i, I can't wait and triangle of sadness as well um that was something that that was a movie dakota was was really um interested in watching and i just through my entirely my own fault um i had to skip the press screening for that it was my own stupidity um but was there any movie if you had to choose one that was a bit of a dud for you just one. <laughs> okay, I, I was struggling between 
the one I'm going to choose and the last movie I saw at the festival, which was Sam Mendes' Empire of Light. Mm. Horrible film, but it's not <laughs> as bad. It's not as bad as Prisoner's Daughter by Catherine Hardwick. Yeah. Oh, my God. I cannot <laughs> believe. I cannot believe that I I, I deliberately chose this movie. <laughs> I could have watched so many other movies, and I went to this press screening. And I was watching a movie. I, I couldn't even call it. It's just the most cliched derivative take on like, you know, family, familiar strife and just, you know, kind of this reconciliation between a strange daughter and father. And so what the story, just quickly, what the story is about is Brian Cox plays uh, a convict and he gets compassionate release because he gets pancreatic cancer. And he wants to basically, the conditions are he has to live with this, with his daughter who he's estranged with in house arrest. And, I, what should have been, you know, this kind of like cathartic type of exploration, reconciliation between uh, a father and a daughter, and then even the grandson is the most derivative thing I've seen in my life. It's so predictable. It's obvious. And I I, I swear to God, I, I literally, I just wanted to sleep during it. I just wanted to like catch, you know, catch a quick nap before my other boatload of screenings the other day. And I mean, when you talk about Chekhov's gun, I mean, this is a Chekhov... Like rocket launcher everything that's set up <laughs> in the beginning is just it comes back in such like, an obvious way uh, and the movie spends such a long time setting up all these things and then they pay off in exactly the way you expect it to and even in even and even in an underwhelming way it's just i don't know what i expected by signing up to see a Catherine hardwick movie i think to expect a cinematic comeback from her is like trying to stop a plane that's left the airport like it's just i'm it's i'm done i'm not signing up again I wish I saw, I wish, you know what? I wish I could have saw brother instead of this movie. You convinced me. I wasted, that's the big blot on my, my TIFF experience. It's prisoner's daughter. Horrible. I, that's like the key. I think when you want, when you come out of a movie and you just go, I just wait, especially at a film festival, you go like, I wasted my time with that. Like that to me is the biggest indictment of a film that you could possibly have. Um, yeah, that wasn't even on my radar. So I'm glad that I didn't waste my time on it. Um, you're, you're one of the lucky ones. Another movie, there was another movie that it, it was on my radar and I, I, I didn't end up working my schedule. And I'm really glad it didn't, which was the sun S O N not after sun, not S U N, but apparently the sun was just horrific. Everyone was like, it was terrible. Um, I didn't watch it, so I can't really comment on that. Um, okay. So for my shout outs, I'm, I'm going to give one and it is, I struggled between whether or not I want to talk about this one in depth or brother in depth. I chose brother ultimately because, uh, it's just the one that kind of stuck with me from the very beginning, right to the end of the festival. But I watched um, Edward Berger's adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front. And when I tell you that it is the greatest war movie I've ever seen, like it's absolutely, we were talking about Spielberg. Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan, that opening sequence is like one for the ages, right? Like it's an iconic, iconic, I hate that word now because everyone uses it for everything, but like it's truly one of those cinematic moments in film history where people go that was incredible it's got nothing on the opening sequence of, of all quiet on the western front i i'm not even worried about overselling this movie to be honest like i have i i'm usually when i talk about a movie that i love i try to like bring it back because i'm like i don't want people to go in overhyped i don't think you can overhype all quiet on on the western front like it it's just such 
it was one of those movies that I really wanted to leave in the middle of it because it just felt like too much. Like I just go, I'm like, I can't handle this anymore. Like I can't deal with what these guys are going through. Like, I just want to get out of here. I don't want to live with this anymore. But obviously, number one, it's a movie. So relax, just finish watching the movie. I'm not a veteran. I'm not getting any PTSD. Like, just calm down. Like, just watch the movie. But two, it also just gives you this idea of, you know, as much as I wanted to piece out of that movie, I can only imagine what it was like to be a young guy, um, you know, in, in that actual moment and wanting to go home, but you couldn't go home because, yeah, that, that's what that was. Um all Quiet on the Western Front's a fairly popular story slash movie these days. Like it's it's fairly old now and it's become a bit of a classic. It's about World War One, and it was a book originally written by a German soldier, and it got turned into a film in the thirties, um, and it was a Hollywood movie. So it was done by the Americans, and it was fine. Like it was really good. It that the original is actually really really. I shouldn't call it the original. The first adaptation was really good as well. It's fine. It's a good war movie. For the time period, it was very, very revolutionary because people didn't really want to talk about the downsides of war. People didn't want to acknowledge that war was actually a really shitty place to be in, which today, obviously, we we fully recognize that and appreciate it. Um, but back then, that wasn't the case. And the book and the movie got banned in Germany. It got banned in other countries as well because they were going into a Second World War. So you can't have people watching yeah. a movie that tells you, hey, war war sucks, guys. Like, we shouldn't be doing this we're talking like a hundred years on now it's 2022 and this is done by a German production, German director, German actors, German producers, all that. And it's just, it's absolutely incredible. Like technically speaking, filmmaking wise, it's flawless. Like you can't touch it. There's nothing wrong with the movie. You cannot, I'm not reviewing this for exclaim, but if I were, this would probably be the first movie I would give a 10 out of 10. It would just, it, to me, there's, you cannot fault this movie. You cannot fault it. What? Run so, so well. Um, I said I wasn't going to go in depth. I'm talking too much about it, but it's an incredible film. It's coming out on Netflix at the end of October, um, October 28th. It's going to be a Netflix film. And I think that this might be Netflix's like first Academy Award. I think that they're, if it doesn't win for the international category, I don't know what we're doing here. Um, but I would implore that if it is out all possible for people, if it's showing near you at a theater, cause they are going to do a theatrical run, um, not a why I don't know how wide it's going to be, but Go watch it in a theater if you can, because unless you have an incredible sound system in your house and a huge ass screen, you will benefit greatly from a cinema watching it because it's it's just such an incredible movie. And I I want everybody to watch it because, yeah, it's it's a tough movie to watch. I will say like it's one of those. I don't know if I want to watch it again because it was it was a really, really difficult movie to get through. Um, Yeah, everything about it is just extraordinary. So the whole time you're explaining that movie, my mouth my mouth was just open the whole time, <laughs> and now I don't know how much how how over exaggerating you are. I, I I'm inclined to believe you're not, but uh, I I'm now I'm really regretting not seeing this because nobody loves a good war movie than me. I mean, I like all my my policemen, but I also like my 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 war movies. Uh, it's and- a it's a great war movie. It's just like. I've always thought the pinnacle was saving private Ryan, to be honest, but like that, that scene, the, the storming Normandy scene is, yeah. that is, and, and it's still amazing. Don't get me wrong. But I remember watching the opening sequence for this movie and then it kind of, they do a, a good, really good cut. And then, then it goes to the title and it says all quiet on the Western front. I'm not joking when 
there were people in the audience. It was a mix of every, all those going like, oh my God. Like, it's like a gasp. Like we all just kind of gasped when it went to the title card. And then there were some people who were just like, like randomly clapping because they were like, that was extraordinary, but I feel really uncomfortable at the same time. It was, it was like, I wasn't ready for that. I was not ready for, for the way the movie was going to open. And yeah. And it's funny because I'm familiar with All Quiet on the Wood. Like I'm familiar with the story. I haven't read the book, but and I want to now actually, but um, I am familiar with the story. It's just, it's, it's an, it's a definitive adaptation of that book. Absolutely definitive. And if you're into war movies, go watch it. Cause it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Wow. You missed out. You should have watched Prisoner's Daughter. You should have been watching all. Yeah, I should. I should. I should have saw all. But to be honest, the, the experience of Prisoner's Daughter is probably just as harrowing as the trenches. <laughs> Very different reasons. Yeah, probably. Um, my dead, and I am going to be quick with this one. Is Causeway. I know you liked it. I really didn't care for it. I thought it was so bland, so dull. It was just one of those movies that after we finished watching, it's a Jennifer Lawrence movie, um, with Brian Tyree Henry. They're both great in it. I just found it to be like really boring. And afterwards I just thought, what was the point of that movie? Like, I don't really understand what we just watched here and what the point of it was throughout the film. I kept thinking something's going to happen. Something is going to happen at this point. But then I realized we've been sitting here for a while and I think the movie's about to end. And then sure enough, it did end. And I didn't, it just felt like, I wouldn't say it was a waste of time. I just didn't see the point of it. And I also think that when you are setting a film in a city as dynamic and interesting as New Orleans, very true. All they did was say it's hot. That's all I really got from from <laughs> You're very New right. Orleans is hot. They didn't take advantage. I'm like, why set it in New Orleans then? Yeah, and it was they very have to. The color palette was very like dark. Uh, yeah, and, and bland. yeah, and it, it felt yeah. like it was like New York. Like they were just in a different place. What's the point? Like, what's the point? Like, what I are agree. we doing I, here? I, I watched, um, what's that stupid movie called? Where the Crawdads Sing. And that's like oh swampy Florida. God. It's not a great movie, but I'll tell you, the cinematography for that movie is in phenomenal. And it really took you into the swamp and kind of understood the beauty of it, but also like the grittiness of it. Yeah. Yeah, New Orleans, it was just, it was hot. They were sweaty and hot in, in Causeway. And that, that's the end of, of New yeah. Orleans. And one, one thing uh, I just add on that movie is just, She's a war veteran, but she still yeah. looks like a supermodel. Like she looks like gorgeous, Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence. And I'm just like, I'm like, if that's what war does for you, sign me up. And I want to look that glowing. <laughs> like, you know, it, yeah. And also, I will note that, yeah, I, I I didn't love the movie. I thought it was fine. Like it was kind of like fun throwaway. Like look at look at life after war. But I have to say, it's Jennifer Lawrence movie, but she gets outacted by Brian Tyree Henry in her own movie. That's I'll agree with that. I I yeah. love Brian Tyree Henry. Everything I've seen him in, he's phenomenal. Every little thing I've seen him in. He even has like the tiniest role in the Joker. And he's so good in that. Like this little brief moment in Joker. He but he's so good in it. Um yeah, so I don't know, Causeway for me just wasn't I don't know. I I didn't have very high expectations going into it, which kind of makes it even worse is that I didn't really expect anything from it and I really didn't get anything from it. Um so that's yeah. I didn't hate it though, I'll say I wouldn't I didn't hate it. All right, so we've been blathering on, I think, long enough now. And I just want to thank you, Prabhat, for coming on to the show. I really enjoy it. We're going to have to have you on with Dakota. Um, we'll do 
I don't know. I think you and I talked earlier before about doing like an A24 one, but then I kind of thought yeah. since you're doing this, we'll get you on a little bit earlier. Um, I really enjoyed TIFF this year. I saw some great movies, despite what I just saw about said about Causeway. <laughs> I did see some really nice movies and I, I loved a lot of them. So uh, yeah, another great TIFF experience in the bag. And yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Really yeah. I want to, I, I want to thank you. I mean, the, just, I, I love just having an avenue just to talk about movies uh, and just film. And even though we disagree wholeheartedly on the whale, <laughs> uh, you know, it was still great to, to, to talk about it. And just uh, uh, thanks for the experience. It was just, I love, I love being no here. Thank you. And we'll have you on again. And I know um, you're, you're kind of in the space that I was in last year and there was someone I met at uh, through that shelf. It was named Victor Stiff. I met him through there and he was kind of like a year before me kind of thing and so I kind of feel like it's nice to see and and help in any way that I can of like trying to figure this out because it is such an odd little world um this filmatic business it's such an odd ecosystem of things that I'm still trying to work my way through so it's yeah it's, it's really cool watching you though kind of like get a lot of cool gigs and getting tiff and doing all these things so I think it's amazing and um I look forward to what you're gonna do later on as well um but let's do some shout outs for you. So you're on exclaim, obviously you've done that, but um, you got tilt magazine as well. And we'll link those down in the show notes or Dakota will, uh, but where, where can people find more from you, more your work? Those things. Uh, yeah. So I'm primarily on uh, Instagram and, and Twitter, even though I just, I got recently onto the Twitter game fairly recently. <laughs> I mean, literally, but uh yeah that's where people can find me and just post just my takes on films and just my my links to 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 my articles about film and so i'm on exclaim and tilt but uh, i'm hoping to to branch out and write to meet a couple uh, meet more people and just kind of write for 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 other publications as well and just kind of build up my kind of film world and and talk to a lot of people who also hate the whale yeah <laughs> you're gonna find a lot of people who who fall into that let's be honest now um, all right, so you can find me as always at underscore Rachel KH on Twitter, and my website is rachelkh.com, and I have all of um, the TIFF coverage there. That's on Exclaim, POV, and I did a few things with that shelf as well. So yeah, you can check that out there. If you are at TIFF and you watch something that you really loved and we decided not to talk about it, let us know. Um, you can send an email over to contrazoompod at gmail.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smell. Smell. I messed this up last time, but I don't want to do a re-record for this. Eric and Kevin Smell, I think, um, for the theme music. I apologize for screwing up your surname, but I do really love the theme music for this for this podcast. Um, and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we post all of the episodes there as well. Thank you so much for checking us out. And again, Pravdot, thank you for joining us. Thank mm-hmm. you.